When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Run, Breddy! Run, goddammit! Leave me alone, dude. Breddy, you better run, motherfucker. Do you want to go to jail? Breddy! Run! Run, bitch! Run? When have you ever seen me run? Even when I escape from prison later on in this story, I won't really run. I'll just kind of walk quickly. You mean to tell me you ain't going to run? Fuck no, I'm not going to run. I'll drive. Drive? Drive? Everybody else trying to break out of prison. You the only asshole on the planet trying to break into prison. You know what? Fuck you, dude. Fuck me. You won't be saying that shit behind bars. Somebody's going to take you up on that offer. Dude, leave me alone. I'm really not having a good day. Okay. Okay. So where are you going? Hell if I know. Just as far away from Columbia, South Carolina as I can. I know that. I-20 West. Well, you know, you can't drive that truck that long. They're going to be looking for it. Yeah, I know. But I still got a couple of tricks up my sleeve. I I'm going to make it look like I'm still in Columbia, South Carolina. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. You know what? You the fucking man. You know, I don't think I'm the fucking man. I just think I'm just fucked. Well, okay, yeah, there's some truth to that. And, <laughs> and not by no strippers either, right? No, not by any strippers either. So, uh, you think you'll make it out of the country before the feds find you? I don't know. Probably not. But I gotta try, right? Yeah, you gotta try. So you think this story's got a happy ending? You know what? Happy endings are for stories that haven't finished yet. Well, there's some truth to that. Yeah, yeah, there is. Man, you are so fucked. Welcome to the Anglerfish Podcast, where we visit the darkest corners of our online lives. I'm your host, Brett Johnson. The United States Secret Service called me the original Internet Godfather. Now, what does it take to get a title like that? 39 felonies, a place on the United States Most Wanted list, an escape from prison, and I built the first organized cybercrime community, Shadow Crew. Shadow Crew was a precursor to today's darknet and darknet markets, and it laid the foundation for the way modern cybercrime channels still operate today. This first season of the Anglerfish podcast tells of my rise and fall as the world's first internet godfather. It's a fascinating story. You'll learn how cybercriminals think, how modern cybercrime came into being, and why it's so successful and hard to stop, and how I was able to turn from a life of crime to one of using the knowledge I acquired as a criminal to help protect others against the type of person I used to be. So you ended up in Tuscaloosa, Alabama as you trekked west and you said there was someone in Dallas that had something that you could get. 
That's true. So <laughs> I told you I was going through this load of strippers. I'd go home with a different one every night. Right. I was still kind of, not kind of, but I was wanting Kim. And, and at the time she was still with me. I had, uh, even though she was back with her husband, we were kind of, you know, talking with each other and, and we still loved each other. Let's put it like that. But I had called her up and told her I needed a thousand dollars. She met me in the parking lot of Lowe's in Augusta, gave me a thousand dollars. I hugged her. I told her I loved her. And I headed west on I-20. No damn idea where I was going to. Got to Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And I I am not a sports fan. I'm not. I don't really pay attention to sports. I didn't know that Tuscaloosa was the home of the Crimson Tide. Didn't know that. I didn't know until I married Michelle, until I met Michelle, rather, that Auburn was even located in Alabama. So you end up in Tuscaloosa, and I can picture you in your little tent camped at the foot of... Tent? Shit, dude, I don't Diddy, camp. Denny Chimes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I rented a hotel okay. right off the interstate. And the next day, you know, I find out that the Crimson Tide's there. And I was like, well, I'll just go down to campus. Well, I was like, fuck that after, you know, I drove a mile down the street. I was like, no, I got places to go. <laughs> well, I was filling up in ga- with gas in, in Tuscaloosa, and I remembered that the provider of the Easy Paisano prepaid debit cards was in Dallas. Well, Dallas is right along the path there. So I'm like, well, shit, man. That's where I'll actually get the cards to commit tax return fraud. And what I had told Kim was, I was like, look, I need to get the money to pay for an attorney, and I'll be back at that point. Well, I had already figured I'm not coming back. We used to teach people how to go on the run. And if you look at it, it gets that, it's that rational mind versus the emotional mind. Rationally, you know what you need to do to avoid law enforcement. You know, if you've got old habits, because law enforcement is very good about knowing what your habits are, and you're a creature of habit, so the chances of you continuing those habits is pretty good. So with me, they already knew that I was spending four to $6,000 a night in strip clubs. So what do they do? If they can pinpoint the location or the general area that I'm in, they just send the the agents over to the strip clubs every night, right. which is what they were. I found out. <laughs> I found out later. I was talking to Bobby. I had lunch with him, and he told me he was like, "Yeah, Brad." He said we camped out at those damn strip clubs in Columbia, South Carolina, for six months. Wait, <laughs> and I was like, "You spent six months there, dude?" He's like, "Yeah, just waiting to see if you were going to come inside." And he's like, "You know, the first month or two it was a fight between all the agents as to which ones were going to the strip clubs that night. <laughs> he was like, after two months, though, nobody wanted that job. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, no shit, nobody wants that job. <laughs> he was like, I guess you don't go to strip clubs anymore. I was like, no, I don't go to strip clubs anymore. So, so that, when we taught people how to do that, you know, we, you got to break your habits. You know, if you used to dress a certain way, you change that. You don't drive the same vehicles. You don't contact friends or family. Rule number one, yep. you don't contact old friends, associates, family. You have to make a clean break of that entire person that you used to be. Rationally, that's very easy to do. Emotionally, it's very difficult to do. Very difficult. So I had, the only vehicle that I had 
was a Dodge Dakota pickup truck. It was my beach truck when I was a thief. I used to, it was, it was the third vehicle that I had, and I had it at the beach. Well, they took everything I had except for that. So okay. that's the only vehicle I had uh, to drive. So I got in that, and I headed west on I-20. And I knew that I had to, I couldn't drive that that truck for long. But what I was doing is, at that point is, is when spoofing was just becoming popular. And when I say spoofing, it's, you can change your phone number so that when you call someone else's phone, it appears that you're calling from a different phone number. Now, this was roughly, what, 2006? Yeah, this was, two, no, this was 2000, yeah, 2006, 2006. 2006. Okay. So it was just kind of getting popular at this point. And there were services that provided that for you. So you didn't have to technically know how to do it. You could just sign up for spoof card or some bullshit like that. The good thing about it at that point from a criminal point of view is that law enforcement agencies didn't really understand it. They didn't know that a lot of stuff was going on at that point. So what I was doing is, you know, here I am heading west on I-20. I had a burner phone. I would call my bondsman and my attorney from a spoofed number that made it look like I was still in Columbia, South Carolina. So the bondsman would then tell the Secret Service, dude, he's calling from a physical landline in Columbia, South Carolina. He's there. (laughs) (laughs) So they were looking for me in Columbia. Meanwhile, I'm in Dallas. I'm in Las Vegas. I'm in Los Angeles, down in San Diego, all through the West until they start seeing these reports of hundreds of thousands of dollars being stolen out of ATMs. Meanwhile, there's some guy that's actually, he's not worrying about hiding his face. Instead, he's looking dead at the ATM camera, giving the ATM camera a middle finger. (laughs) Now, who would that person be? (laughs) That, it turns out that I can hold a grudge. And that was was me being an idiot. Instead of trying to hide who I was, I kind of wanted them to know it was me. Because I was really pissed, and honestly, I had no reason to be pissed at him. I mean, I Jim had pulled had pulled me out of that cell, and he had you know, he had threatened my family and told me he was going to fuck me and my family over for the rest of my life. And I guess there was a part of me that realized that that was pillow talk. <laughs> you know, that's that's cop pillow talk. That's how they try to that's they intimidate you like that so they can break you down. And I just didn't take it as that. I took it as you know what. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> okay, now, so where where is Jim? Jim is, I don't know if he still works for Secret Service or not now. Okay. He was second in charge in uh, Columbia, South Carolina right. at that time. I don't know if he still works. I know that Neil no longer works for the Secret Service. Right. He was the head guy. Okay. Um, of course, Brad and Bobby, the both agents in charge, they no longer work there. But uh, So I, I'm heading west on I-20. Uh, realizing Tuscaloosa that the pre- Easy Paisano card is in Dallas. Now the Easy Paisano, we live in we live in a more much more PC time than we did back then. Much more politically correct now than it used to be then. The Easy Paisano card at that point in time, it was it was marketed toward Mexicans, of course, not Hispanics, toward Mexicans, Mexicans that yep. were working on this side of the border. Mm-hmm. Yet they needed to send money over to that side of the border. That was the entire marketing strategy, was it. And I had, not stolen, but I had gotten prepaid debit cards from this provider before. He didn't know who I was. He had never heard my voice or anything else like that. I had always spoken to some customer service agent. So that day, I'm driving to Dallas, and I was like, look, I'll just walk my ass right on in and pick up debit cards. 
So I'm like, okay. I had a I had a sport coat on, walked in, and <laughs> I convinced the guy to give me 67 of these cards without me paying him anything and without me having to show any identification. And the way I did it, as I walked in, I told him I was a construction owner for a construction company, and basically I gave him this this thick southern accent of, oh, you know, I got all them Mexicans out there working for me. You know, they ain't documented or nothing else, but I got to pay them. I got, you got to pay them. I ain't paying them much, mind you, <laughs> but I got to pay them. Mm-hmm. And what I'd like to do is get somebody's prepaid debit card. You know, that way you can give it to them. I don't have much cash on me or nothing like that at all times. They won't. They can't cash a check. They ain't got no ID. But if I give them one of these cards now, they can take that card over to the ATM, pull that money right on out, everybody's happy. So can you help me? Well, he, he believed that bullshit and didn't ask for ID. He was just happy because, he, because they make money off every withdrawal or transaction that goes on the card. So he was just happy to give me 67 cards. I had borrowed $1,000 from Kim, is what I'd borrowed. By the time I get to, and I, I talk about this in the prologue of, of Anglerfish, but by the time I got to Dallas, I had $800. So what I did was I rented a one of these roach motels, extended stay, for two weeks, because it would take me two weeks to get tax return money into the cards. The other money I'd take, uh, I'd go to Walmart, I'd buy a couple packs of bologna, a couple loaves of bread, <laughs> the essentials. The essentials. Just what you got to have. Just what you got to have. And um, we call that bologna Alabama round steak. You know, I'm still a bologna fan today. I am too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like my Oscar Minor thick sliced bologna. That's what I like. <laughs> so then the rest of the money I took, and I would uh, I'd go to Kinko's every day, and I'd pay, I think it was $12 an hour to sit there and file income tax returns. And I would do that eight hours a day is what I would do until I got all 67 returns, and I had multiple returns going to each card and everything else in case they failed and all that. But um, the way that the tax system worked at that point is a week later, actually four to five days later, you'd get notification, you'd go to check the IRS site, and it would say the tax return has been accepted. All right, And then it would say direct deposit is scheduled for this date. And that date was usually a Friday or the following Monday. Actually, that, that date was on a Wednesday, but it would actually fund the Friday morning before that Wednesday. Okay, so what you could do is, and when I say Friday morning, it was you know Thursday after midnight, 3 a.m. is when these cards would actually fund. So by funding date for me, I had no money. I had like $6 left was what I had. And Easy Paisano had actually shut down these tax returns for me on me in the past. So they had seen that type of fraud. They had recognized it. So I was taking a huge gamble whether those cards would even fund or not. Um, but they did fund. I was down to $6 and I'd, I'd plotted out a map of ATM machines like I usually did. Cards funded at 3, 3.30 in the morning. I didn't have anything to put the money in. Nothing. So um, I take my cards and I start hitting the ATM route. And take the 20s that are coming out and I throw the 20s in the floorboard of the truck <laughs> is what I'm doing because I don't want somebody to drive by and look in the seat and see that cash piling up so I just throw the 20s in the floorboard finally after about I don't know two hours of that I've got enough money in the floorboard I'm like okay got to do something with that shit drive back to the hotel walk in ring the bell of, of the counter there guy walks up I'm like uh, hey man uh, you guys got any hefty bags <laughs> he was like, what? I was like, big black garbage bags. You guys got any of those? He's like, yeah. And I was like, can I get one? 
So he gives me one of these one of these hefty bags. And I take it out to the truck. And I put all the money in that, and that's what I do the rest of the night. Is all the money that I'm getting out of the ATMs, I just stuff in the hefty bag. So come back to the hotel with thirty three so, gallons of money. Yeah. So and that that resulted in I don't know a hundred and fifty grand that day, something like that. That evening is what I stole out of ATMs. Come back and that hundred fifty thousand dollars is in that hefty bag, and here I am carrying it because it's heavy. I'm carrying it like Santa Claus <laughs> into my hotel room. And uh, I, I take all the clothes. I had a, a suitcase with my clothes in it. Take all the clothes out of that, stack the money in the suitcase. Take some of the money out and go have uh, breakfast at Denny's. Stop by uh, Barnes & Noble, buy a Road Atlas. Uh, stop by a, a gas station because everything was in kind of within walking distance. Stop by a gas station, buy an auto trader because I need a new vehicle. Come back to the hotel, call a car shipping service. Because, I again, Secret Service at this point, they don't know I'm out of the state of South Carolina. But they're going to be looking for that truck, and they need that truck to be around. Because that's the only vehicle transportation I'm supposed to have. So I, I want to ship the truck back to South Carolina. <laughs> so I paid $700 to ship the truck back. It was guaranteed to arrive four days later. I was like, that'll work. So ship the truck back to South Carolina, comb through the auto trader trying to find a vehicle, and I'm looking for a vehicle that's not brand new, but that's not really old. I need it to fall and not be, you know, conspicuous. I need something inconspicuous, but that's, you know, roadworthy. Settle on a two thousand one Jeep Cherokee. That's what I settle on. And to this day, Ken, I love that that year of Jeep Cherokee. That was a good year. I love those. That's that damn square Cherokee. I love that damn thing. Yep. So um Paid ninety five hundred dollars cash for that Jeep for a Jeep Cherokee, and then come back and uh, order an Escort. That's what I did. Ordered an Escort, and here's the here's the big thing for Brett Johnson. Brett Johnson went through a uh, a slew of Escorts during that four month well five month run. A slew. I spent a lot of money on Escorts. And didn't have sex with him. Yeah. Okay. Just somebody pretty to have around, talk to, and well, and take places. It huh? didn't hit me. I, I recently watched the entire series of Breaking Bad. <laughs> okay, don't give me the spoiler because I'm not through it yet. I won't. I won't. But uh, Breaking Bad gets the criminal mindset down to a T. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing what it does. And there's there's this one sh- there's this one episode. Where Brian Cranston pays a guy money just to talk to him. Just to talk to him. And that's exactly, that's exactly what I did. I would uh, call up escort services or uh, find a streetwalker, especially in Vegas. Find a streetwalker and give her $300. Just sit there and talk to me. Go out and have dinner with me. Just I, I need some company. No, I don't want to, I don't want to screw you. I don't want to have sex. I just need somebody to talk to. And uh, that became it. Uh, there was a guy unlicensed counselors. Yeah. And it didn't really hit me. There's a few people that that get that, that that understand that type of mentality. I read a book, it's called Shantaram by a guy named uh, Gregory David Roberts is the guy's name. And he was in prison in New Zealand. And he escaped from prison in New Zealand, maximum security. 
makes his way over to uh, to India hmm. and uh, starts a life there. And, of course, he gets arrested again a few years later. But uh, he writes a book about that. It's a fictionalized account of his life. Outstanding book. But he talks about that, that feeling of being on the run, of um, the mental anguish, the stress that you go through, everything else. And he's absolutely right. When you're on the run, you don't really have fr- strangers become your friends. Your, your old friends you don't have anymore because you can't contact them. Your real friends you can't trust because you know, you've got uh, law enforcement there. You don't know if they're going to tell on you or whatever. So, so just the, the, a rote stranger becomes, for the time that you know them, for the time that you interact with them, they become the best possible friend that you can have. And you, you have the highest highs and the absolute lowest lows that you have as well. I mean, the, the, every day that you completed was the best day of your life because you're not arrested that day. But it's also the saddest day of your life. You know, I was, I would drive and, uh, I was taking, <laughs> I got that road atlas and I plotted out, I was trying to plot out route 66. I was like, ah, as long as I'm out in the West, may as well do that. <laughs> so the, uh, the taxi driver that had taken me to, that had taken me to pick up that Jeep, she asked me where I was going. And I was like, I don't know where I'm going. I may go to Roswell. I've not been to Roswell, New Mexico. See the aliens. And she's like, you're going to Roswell. I'm like, yeah. She's like, there's nothing in Roswell. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's where I'm going. She's like, well, do you like good food? And I was like, yeah, I like good food. She's like, well, if you're going that way, you may as well detour down to San Antonio. They've got great food. Uh-huh. And I'm like, yeah. She's like, yeah. So here idiot is. I had never driven across the state of Texas before. It's a big drive. That's a drive, man. <laughs> so here I am. I started in Dallas, drive my ass down to San Antonio, have me, <laughs> have me a couple of burritos and a couple of tamales. Actually, I get a bag of tamales. Hang a right, <laughs> and then drive up to Roswell, New Mexico. So I get to Roswell. She was like, I mean, there's nothing in Roswell. They've got the Alien Museum, which I went to, and then the street lamps are the the, the lamps themselves are painted like alien heads, which was very neat. <laughs> but that's the only thing in Roswell. I got a Dairy Queen ice cream there and kept trucking. <laughs> And these songs would play on the radio. That's that's one of the weird. I mean, I understand now. I was just I was just depressed, clinically depressed, whatever you want to call it. I was just depressed, man, with my life and everything else. So, I, you know, Elton John's song would come on the radio, and I'd cry like a baby as I was ah, he's talking about me. man. I, and and I did. I I wept like a baby. I mean, I it was like every song was for Brett, <laughs> you know. And so I I. I I put a lot of miles on that on that Jeep, and again, no, not really knowing where I was going to go. So I went from Roswell up to Albuquerque, went through um, the Petrified Forest, went through, um, visited Meteor Crater, drove down to Phoenix, <laughs> just zigzagging all over the place. And finally, I looked at the atlas, and I was like, well, Vegas is there. So I got to um, Hoover Dam at 2 o'clock in the morning. That's when I got there. Nobody there. And now you can't do that, but uh, I was able to park at Hoover Dam and walk around the entire facility, the only person. And, and uh, you know, you I look back now, and that was great. You literally cannot do that now. 
Right. But, uh, you know, that, that was out, something outstanding. And I was just, you know, so, so dazed at that point and just so out of it that, you know, I knew I wanted to do it, but I didn't understand the, uh, how great of an opportunity that was. And that's, that was a weird thing about this entire, tr- the, the entire run. You know, I got to see, um, see gorgeous sights. You know, I reached the, uh, so that was two or three o'clock in the morning at Hoover Dam. From there, I drove on to, to Vegas and I reached the top of that hill and you're looking down in the valley. And that, that first sight of Vegas for me was, uh, all those lights. All the, I mean, even then I, you just stop and you had to look at it. I mean, just, just, just gorgeous, gorgeous sight. And, um, you know, I went, I went to Vegas and stole another, I don't know, $150,000, $170,000 for the two weeks I was there. And uh, no idea what the hell I was doing, man. I mean, just completely aimless. I guess if, if, if I would have lasted, so I lasted, I think, five months total before I made the United States Most Wanted list. If I would have lasted any longer, I probably would have committed suicide. I mean, it was just uh, this surreal, just nightmare type stuff. You know, every day I would, uh, I had a place over on, uh, I had a hotel, extended stay over out in Boulder, and I would drive from Boulder to the Strip every day. I I'm, didn't gamble, but uh, go see movies, or just walk the Strip, eat, <laughs> come back, hire an escort, talk to her for a couple hours, send her on her merry way, and that was it, man, and, and then break the law break the law. And that was it. Uh, tune in, uh, try to read stuff online to figure out if they knew where I was yet. And that, that became my entire life right there. That was it. Just uh, sad, sad, sad stuff. Thank you for listening to this episode of Anglerfish. I appreciate it. If you like it, please subscribe and drop me a line saying hello. Hello is always good. You can reach me direct at brettjohnson at anglerfish.com. That's brett, B-R-E-T-T, Johnson, J-O-H-N-S-O-N, at anglerfish, A-N-G-L-E-R-P-H-I-S-H.com. Please tell your friends about us. Rate and review the Anglerfish podcast wherever you can. In the next few weeks, we'll be launching Season 2 of Anglerfish, which will examine the darkest corners of our online lives and what you need to do to remain safe. Please email me questions, comments, concerns, personal stories, and any topics you might like to hear discussed. That's brettjohnson at anglerfish.com. Until next time, I'm your host, Brett Johnson. Stay safe, stay secure, and stay vigilant. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.